0: Morning Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to the letter of Galatians. This morning we're going to be reading and then studying Galatians chapter three. I know what the bulletin says, we're actually going to pick up in verse 6, and then we'll go through verse 14. So here Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit beginning in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3. Abraham believed God. He believed Him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, what Tyler read for us earlier, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and, for good measure, do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What a text. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh Lord, we come even now before the throne of God in our weakness, our fragility, our sins, our need. It will not be by our righteousness that you pour out mercy upon us right now. We thank you for the righteousness of Jesus. We thank you that the Lord is our righteousness and that upon His obedience, you are happy to supply the Spirit. You are happy to bless your people. You are happy to come yourself And teach us your word. And so we ask that you would come and you would do that. And you would edify your people and you would save the lost. And you would get glory for yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you know the the old rhyme. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible... Tells me so. It says, our assurance of Christ's love for us rests upon the testimony of Scripture. But why does that matter? For the Bible tells me so. Why does that matter? Why isn't it enough to just go, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why isn't it that my past experience of conversion of God's grace in my life, why isn't that enough? Why isn't enough how I feel at present? Well, for one, it's nice to give the final say on something so critical to something infinitely more stable than my mood swings and my memory loss. But most essentially, it's just this. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. It's God's testimony to the truth. What Scripture says, God says. And it says it infallibly and authoritatively and all sufficiently. And that is why, having begun his defense of the gospel here in Galatians with his own personal experience of the risen Christ, for why the Galatians need to stand fast in the truth of the gospel. Having begun like that, Paul now begins to rest his case on God's word. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me exactly that. Dear ones, understand, for Paul, there is more at stake in salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone than the sufficiency of Christ. There's more at stake than that. Behind the sufficiency of Christ is the sufficiency of Scripture. You need to see that. You cannot deny Jesus his sufficiency to save sinners like us without calling God a liar. The Bible is enough to assure us that Jesus is enough to save everyone who believes. Indeed, it's more than enough. There is no higher ground for establishing the gospel than God's own testimony to the gospel in Scripture. So the question is, is the gospel in there? Is what Paul is calling the gospel in the Word of God? What does the Bible tell us concerning the way of salvation? For if it reveals to faith Jesus as this all-sufficient Savior What cause, what reason, what grounds you have this morning for peace and joy in believing the truth? Let's see it for ourselves, starting as in our text with this. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches, true faith suffices, sufficient to bless the sinner to bless the accursed. Okay. And to establish that, Paul takes us to Genesis and to Abraham. If you'll allow a little bit of reconstruction at this point, it seems likely that the false teachers in Galatia were arguing, probably from extra-biblical or non-biblical sources, that to be a child of Abraham, like a full-on son or daughter of Abraham and one of God's heirs of his saving promises, you had to be either ethnically and at least functionally Jewish. You had to be circumcised. You had to keep the law. Watch what you eat. It didn't matter what John the Baptist had said on behalf of all the prophets before him to those who were attending his baptismal services. Do you remember what he said to them? these Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, don't you dare presume to say, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now, as a matter of fact, the axe is laid to the root of the trees and if you don't repent and believe you're going to know it their ethnicity was no final consolation the promise of god rested on god's ability to raise the human soul from the dead And so also that Jewish man that we know as Jesus, as they continued to plant their hope in their ethnic heritage, told them, remember this from John chapter 8, if you were Abraham's children, really, you would be doing what Abraham did. You would love me, he says. You would be believing in me. And why don't you? Why can you not bear to hear what I'm saying to you? Do you remember this? Well, it's not only because you're not children of Abraham in truth, but in truth, it's because you're not children of God. You have another daddy. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Your father Abraham saw my day. And he was glad. So what are you all doing besides now picking up stones to prove the very thing I've just said about you? You're not children of God. So Christ, and everyone who's ever believed in Christ, They're crystal clear in the Bible. It is by faith that Jesus saves sinners. Beloved, it's in display of the Bible's really ordered brilliance that as Paul now shows, Abraham was justified. Now listen, he was justified. These things matter. He was justified before he was circumcised. He was justified before the covenant of circumcision was established. He was justified centuries before Moses was a twinkling in his great-great-granddaddy's eye. Abraham was justified long before the law was ever given on Mount Sinai. He was justified before bacon was outlawed. Right. He was justified, so important, he was justified before Israel existed. The false teachers in Galatia are saying, you need to become functionally Jewish in order to be a real Christian. Abraham was justified before Israel existed. He was justified before being Jewish was a thing. How was he justified? How was Abraham justified before all of that? Paul quotes Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 in Galatians chapter 3 verse 6. Abraham believed God. He believed Him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And thus, everything that comes after that moment, which is all that stuff I just said, is stricken from the equation of your justification before God. Do you see it? We've got to understand it. Before any other identity marker was added to Abraham, the Bible says Abraham was justified by faith. God, in Scripture, testifies, Abraham believed me. Abraham took me at my word. Distance between him and Christ made no difference. He saw the Christ, as Jesus says in John chapter 8. He saw the Christ. He saw the family of stars that I'd promised him through Christ and trusting me to bring it all about I commended his faith by counting his faith as righteousness, as the sinners hold upon the work that Jesus would do. Father Abraham was justified by faith. Seems like an opportune time to mention something that Christians have tended to ignore to our own detriment and to the detriment of those whose salvation we seek. When talking justification, we tend to rightly emphasize the forgiveness of sins, but we do it while ignoring completely, usually, the imputation, the accounting, the reckoning, the accrediting of Christ's active obedience to our sinful account. So perhaps in sharing the gospel, many have balked at what we've said, not just because they think their sins are really small, not a big deal, but because they think their morality is really big. Big enough even for heaven. Because in sharing the gospel, we haven't understood the forgiveness of our sins really only brings us back to zero. when with that, eternal life demands of us a perfect obedience as well. No sin. All righteousness. You've got to have both. And we receive both from Jesus by faith. More on that as we go. But Paul's present preoccupation is to show the believers, those of faith in Galatia, what was true of Abraham is true for you. What they're hearing is, you're not really Abraham's children. Paul says that's not true. What was true of him is true for you. What God did for him was not a one-off. The blessings of the gospel have always been for all peoples and for anyone who believes. And so he says in verse 7 now, Know then, know then, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Here, let me show you in the Bible, Paul says. And again, we get this ordered brilliance of the divine author. If you go back to Genesis 15, verse 6, and you move even further back to Genesis 12, verse 3, you're going to see, as it says in our verse 8 now, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham saying Genesis 12:3 In you Abraham shall all the nations the gentiles be blessed Now <clears throat> please notice how Paul personifies scripture Did you read verse 8 and go that's really strange Paul personifies Scripture. So important to understand. He says, The Scripture foresaw. The Scripture preached. The Scripture evangelized Abraham. And everybody else that would ever come. How could Paul say that? My Bible, here it is. Here's the scripture just sitting here. Like any other book might. Or so it seems. Paul is using God and scripture interchangeably here. You see that? If you go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, who is it that says this to Abraham? It's God. Yeah, it's God. It's God talking. It's God preaching. It's God knowing the when and the how and the what to reveal of His redeeming plan and doing it. And this is Paul saying Scripture then is God speaking. What Scripture says, God says. So, what does God say? That's the force of it. What does God say? The Bible is the Word of God. And before Abraham was counted righteous by faith, it knew the plan of God that God would justify the Gentiles by that very faith. Did you know that was God's plan? From all eternity? The Scripture did. And knowing it, it revealed it. By preaching what Paul calls here the gospel. In you, God heralds to Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. How many times have you read Genesis 12, 3 right there and gone, that is the gospel? Probably never. Unless you read Galatians 3. When he says all the nations are going to be blessed, what does he mean? What does that encompass? It encompasses verse 6. They shall be justified. They shall be forgiven of their sins. They shall be counted righteous. It encompasses verse 7. Adoption. Those who are of faith are sons and daughters of Abraham. They're going to be adopted into the family of God. That blessing encompasses, verse 12, eternal life. They're going to be heirs of eternal life, eschatological life, new life, resurrection life, life in Christ. That blessing encompasses, verse 14, receiving the Holy Spirit who brings all that stuff about. Okay, so how so though? How are you going to get all that? The same way that Abraham would get it, as it says sometime later, Genesis fifteen six, Abraham just believed. He just believed God, and we want to hear so much else, <laughs> right there, don't we? But that's it. He believed, and so also then in verse nine. Paul lands here. Those who are of faith are blessed in all those ways along with Abraham. What was true for the man of faith is true for any man, any woman, any child of any nation, any culture, any heritage, any parentage, any degree of slavery to sin on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, as we're going to see. Yeah, exactly. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? Friend, the Bible is not a rule book. And the gospel is not God's like option B. The law didn't work. Now we get New Testament. We get gospel. That's That's not what's in the Bible. Did you know that? Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone is as old as God himself. For the Bible tells us so. True faith suffices to bless the sinner. But what then about the law? What then about the law? What does the Bible have to say about that? What does the law say to us about itself? But that, next point, it labors to generate that faith. Or to put it another way, it labors to absolutely destroy the faith that you and I might have in our own righteousness. If you look with me at verse 10 then, you'll see that Paul shifts notably from this Abrahamic faith, verses 6 through 9, to moral self-reliance. That too is a kind of faith, it's just not the kind of faith that saves sinners, as we all are. And so Paul doesn't waste any time condemning such faith as being soul blind and gravely mistaken. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Right? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, he says. And so, he just goes with the Jesus method here for conquering bedeviled error. For it is written. For it is written. See it in the text. Always a win in good practice to have Scripture saying what you're trying to communicate. And Here again, it's Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Now, when you hear... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That is a fairly sweeping condemnation. Is it not? I didn't always see it like that. And I'm betting you didn't either. Because we don't see it until we do. The rich young ruler thought himself blameless. He's standing in front of Jesus. Jesus is like, you kept the law? Oh, yeah. What else is there, Jesus? Got anything else for me to do? He thought he was blameless until his idolatry was exposed by Jesus. you got a lot of things. Why don't you sell all that? Take the proceeds, give it to the poor, come and follow me by the way I'm God. You'll have everything you need. No, I can't do that. And his sin was exposed. I mean, the Apostle Paul, who's now writing this letter, thought for a time that he was blameless under the law. He thought he could keep the law and had kept the law well enough to win, to earn, to merit eternal life with God. And he thought all that until he met Jesus. So there's something about Jesus that shows us not a single one of us has abided by, much less done, all the law. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that the law reveals. Two things are implied here. To be blessed in all the ways that we've just said, God demands a life of perfect obedience to His law. Perfect obedience to His law. But seeing as we're sinners, we haven't done that. We've sinned. We have not met God's demand. And it has condemned us, each and every one of us. Our lives... Have cursed our souls to an eternity of divine wrath. So, the law only draws out in plain sight what you and I are inclined by sin and all of hell's support to hide, to excuse away, to relativize not a big deal, and ultimately to keep in the dark at all costs, supposing we're never going to be found out. In themselves, this is the thing, a person is a sinner guilty before God who sees it all. I took the youth on Wednesday through the Ten Commandments. And uh, after we'd gotten to a certain point, I said, you raise your hand now. You raise your hand if you think that you have always done all of this perfectly. You know what they did? Raise those hands. (laughs) I was like, no. Right? Come to find out, they did that because they thought that I'd ask the opposite. I have a tendency of asking questions in a way that confuses people. And so when I straightened it out for them, they were like, oh, no, 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 sorry. The way I put it apparently confused them. But the way God has put it is meant to completely eradicate confusion. It's meant to leave no room for confusion. And yet, sinners still seem to create space for moral self-congratulation. Sin is a really powerful thing, isn't it? Only Scripture is more so. Thank God. You see, I asked the kids their self-awareness to say this. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you or I think or believe or realize about ourselves. Look at verse 11 with me. Paul says, it's, what's the word there? Evident that no one is justified before God by the law. We said this a couple weeks ago. Each one of you, you're someone. The word of God right here says, not a one. You are not justified by the law. What a statement. Very clear. And you may be expecting them to show us our sinful living in light of God's holy law. It's always a frightening thing to do. We terrify people into the gospel, you know. And though that would make our sinfulness evident. That's not what Paul does. What does he do? What suffices to make our guilt and our moral inability, along with the inability of the law to do anything other than curse us, what makes that evident? What suffices to make that evident? Forty percent of a single verse of Scripture. what evidences that no one is justified before god by the law paul says habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 see doesn't matter what we think one verse being the word of god is king it's enough Like Abraham then, let you and I just bow to the Word of God and believe it. The righteous, it says, shall live, how? By faith. Not by the law. By faith. And with this quote, Paul displays his interpretive wizardry under the head and lead of the Holy Spirit's divine genius. Do you know why that book of Habakkuk was written? It's a complaint at first. Israel is being destroyed by the Babylonians. And God, being sovereign, being God, has appointed it. And why has God appointed it? Here comes the wizardry. Here comes the genius. Israel, despite all of their advantages, had failed to obey the law. They failed to obey the law. They're being exiled because of their disobedience to God. And they are undergoing then the curse of their disobedience to everything God has told them. You obey the law, you'll be blessed. You disobey the law, at any point, you'll be cursed. You see that in the latter parts of Deuteronomy. So what they're experiencing so many years later at the time of Habakkuk is the consequence of their sin. They're experiencing the curse of the law because they have not kept it because they cannot keep it. And to the prophet's complaint then, God gives this gospel reminder God speaks and says the righteous Habakkuk shall live by faith just as always it's not changed since Abraham eternal life right relationship with God cannot be had or maintained by works of the law. It can only be had as always from Abraham to Habakkuk by faith. And believers have realized that. As the rest of Habakkuk shows us, because the prophet Habakkuk goes, you're right, I was wrong to complain. I trust you no matter what happens. And so in that, Paul sees a biblical paradigm from Abraham before the law to Habakkuk now after the law has been given to these latter Galatian churches and still later on to you and to me this very day, the law has never and was never intended to regenerate, justify, or sanctify any sinner. Those justified by faith, the righteous, as Abraham, they also what? Live by faith as Habakkuk. And they live by faith, as Paul has said, in the Son of God. Who loved them and gave himself for them. You think, I get it, Paul. and He's like, no, I got one more. Not quite content there. He adds one more word on the futility of the law. So far he said before God, no one is justified by the law. That's evident because the Bible has always taught us the righteous shall live by faith. But, verse 12 now, the law is not a faith. It's not a faith. Rather, and he quotes Leviticus 18.5. Y'all wait until we do an exposition of Leviticus. It's amazing. Leviticus 18.5. Rather, he quotes, the one who does the laws shall live by them. That's bad news. Why? We don't do them. So we die. Listen carefully. The principle in the law is this. You will live, eschatologically, eternally, you will live by your doing of them, which never justified any sinner. Because as sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God by sinning. We haven't always done all that God requires as he requires it to be done. And therefore, in ourselves, we're dead meat. Contrary to what the Judaizers argued, you cannot call down eternal life by observing the law. The law never confirmed nor gave life to any sinner. It only again exposes our sin exposes our spiritual death it only curses us and condemns us. It is about doing and not exactly about believing. However, I will say this it's being not of faith is intended by God to make you and I of faith. Yeah. You see that? The law makes obvious our curse so that if we'd be blessed, the opposite of the curse, we are forced <laughs> against our fallen will, but oh so beautifully, to seek salvation somewhere else. Not in the law, but in the gospel. Even the gospel that God preached to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, long before the law ever existed. We seek salvation not in our own doing. You're not going to find it there. You're only going to find it through faith in the doing of another person. And the Bible tells us Christ crucified is the all-sufficient object of that faith. How is it, if not by works of the law, that sin-accursed people like us can inherit the blessed salvation of God? It's that where we had plainly sinned ourselves to hell. God intervened when we never would have and acted on our behalf like we so desperately needed. I love verse 13. Paul just throws us into it. Christ redeemed us. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, which Madison read for us. And when she read it, right in the middle of our singing and praising the Lord in song, y'all were all like, that's really morbid. But here it is, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, cursed is Everyone who is hanged on a tree. And these are some of the greatest words that God ever uttered to man. Verse 13. The law, it seems, for knowing what Christ would do, made provision for the very sinners it cursed to yet, by grace, be blessed. And in what Paul writes, there's certainly more grace than meets the eye at first. The truth of God is that where we failed, Jesus did not. So that where the law proves insufficient, the grace of the gospel does not. It's sufficient. Beloved, Jesus abided by all things written in the book of the law. He did them without sin. He was not a sinner. As to obedience before God, He was perfect. And throughout His life, and then upon and after His death, God said as much. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And he's the only one. Jesus earned eternal life by his living. J. Gresham Machen is a great uh, theological guy, professor back in the early 1900s on his deathbed. You know what he said? He didn't say, praise God for the forgiveness of my sins. He said, he said, praise God for the active obedience of Jesus. No hope without it. Jesus earned eternal life by His living. But now see this. Grace upon grace. Love. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave Himself for me. Love would not let him inherit that life alone. And so he obeyed God even to the cross. And on that tree, he went about his work as only he could. The righteous one was cursed by God. And you should know, That's why some refuse to believe that Jesus is the Christ. God would not curse His own Christ. Christ crucified. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? That's folly to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. And there is a sense in which those who reviled Jesus on the cross, there's a sense in which they were correct. Scripture, in fact, Deuteronomy 21, said it. Jesus was there cursed by God. He was. Can't be the Christ. Paul thought the same thing at one time. But as one put it, that's only because they did not understand a prepositional phrase. They couldn't see how I pray, you'll see it now. They could not see what a certain thief beside Jesus eventually saw. Remember what he said to his buddy on the other side of Jesus when he was cursing Jesus while he himself was under the curse of God on the cross? He says, my guy, contrary to you and me, this man in the middle He did nothing wrong. So you see, in that, he's beginning to see. He did nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Remember me who did everything wrong when you come into your kingdom. That sinner saw. As Paul again says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Here's the prepositional phrase. For us. For us. Friends, on the cross, Jesus absorbed Our sin and condemnation. Man, it was more than a tree. It was more than a mere crucifixion. They did that by the hundreds in that day. It was more than one man bearing his own curse. It was more than one man bearing the curse of another person. On his cross, Jesus was redeeming. He was redeeming slaves of sin. He was buying us back. He was bringing about a new exodus. He was delivering us from the judgment that our sins deserved. He became a curse. You see the language there? It's not just that He was cursed. He became a curse of unfathomable proportions. He became sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He became sin. As all the sins that you and I would ever sin, and all their guilt, and all God's justice against them, was placed, not on you, not on you, but on the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It was the will of God, Isaiah says, to crush Him. And crushed He was, in our place. Not by hand, not by hammer, not by nail, not by wood, not by human mockery. As our substitute, it was the wrath of God that He suffered until what amounted to our eternal hells was sufficiently suffered. And then you know them. What incredible words. It is. It's finished. Done. The work is done. You couldn't do it. I've done it. It's finished. And upon those words, he gave up his life. Couldn't take it from him. He gave it up. And he died, having done it all for us. And verse 14 tells us why. So that in Christ Jesus, in Him, It's Galatians about, the sufficiency of Jesus, in Him, the blessing of Abraham might come to everyone. To the Gentiles, so that we all might receive the promised Spirit. How? You think Paul ends it that way on purpose? Through faith. So listen. Would you be justified this morning? Would you become a child of God this morning? Would you have eternal life? You, the sinner. Would you be progressing, growing, having become a Christian in the Christian life? Would you be indwelled by the Spirit of Christ, animated by Him, because He's living in you in your very heart. It'll never be by the law. It cannot be. Because as Paul says here, it's all in a person. It's all in Christ Jesus who fulfilled the law and died on the tree for you, and for me, that we might have it all. All these blessings through faith in Him. To be a Christian Galatians, (laughs) you don't have to be anything else other than a believer in Jesus Christ. Faith in Him is sufficient to flood you once and for all and throughout eternity All these blessings of the gospel. So, friend, if you have not believed in Jesus yet, don't delay. Don't let conscience, oh, so sinful. Don't let conscience make you linger. From what we've seen, by all means, Do not of fitness for heaven. Yeah, don't dream of that. And particularly, when all the fitness that God requires of you is to confess your need of Christ. So just believe, God says. Take me at my word. And what Jesus has done to save sinners like you will be freely given to you. Dear ones, I don't know how you've pieced together the Bible throughout your life up to this point, but know this, it's the Word of God about Jesus. From the very front of it, all the way to the back of it, and everywhere in between, it's about the sufficiency of what Jesus has done to welcome the undone, to bless the accursed, and to save any sinner, who believes in Him. So my encouragement, if you're a Christian this morning, is just to recline completely right there. It is to find that just the nicest cushion ever and just rest and rejoice. Jesus loves you. This you know. For the Bible tells you so. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do ask now that the truth of it, the grace of it, would just be so very mighty and omnipotent with every heart. You have revealed the way for sinners to be saved. To stand before you as a justified child of God with Christ at heart. (laughs) And know how I pray. If there's anyone in here this morning who has not yet believed, they would now. They would now. and They'd be moved by your Spirit to let somebody here know about it. And I also pray for your people who have believed by your grace. And I really do ask for our full comfort and consolation and joy in believing. In Jesus' name, amen.